0: This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Your mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code Hour and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. Shakepay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. Shakepay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin. Go check out Shake Bay. Once again, guys, that's ShakeBay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The
1: dirty secret is that no one's ever gonna get paid back or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just don't
0: need key through Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour episode 54. As always, joined by the three amigos. We got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management, everybody's favorite boomer. And we got Rich Diaz at Acorn Macro Consulting. What's going on, gentlemen? What's new?
1: What's new? What's new is old again. Boris Johnson's gonna make a comeback. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Liz Truss is probably the major news thing that I think we should probably laugh at, talk about side. Uh, you know it's pretty embarrassing, but in the UK nothing's beautiful day and Liz Truss after 45 days has resigned as Prime Minister after she uh, her plan basically went down in flames. Um, I just like to thank all the bond vigilantes and the people shorting the pound. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that woman was wholly unqualified to lead uh, the great britain and on to the next one i
2: guess
0: there it is spoiler alert we'll get into that later in the show uh keith what's going on over there
2: well i've had a busy uh 48 hours i just had a trip to new york uh that was lots of fun i'll share that story as we go on but it's a typical you know a a typical wall street you know 24-hour visit you know you talk about money and then there's hookers and blow involved that's that's the way new york rolls (laughs) and uh jumping into walls with velcro suits
1: how does Mrs. Icecat feel about this?
0: <laughs> she wasn't there. People are probably like, "This guy's serious? Jesus, I want to party with him at the Hockey Hall of Fame." Right. Um, yes. Yeah, speaking of which, I've got. If anyone can see, I have got my my Rich Diaz T-shirt on today. I'll be rocking this at the live event in Toronto, December the first. Plug December the first, so guys. So you guys are listening to this podcast right now. We're recording it on Thursday. This is, <laughs> this is dropping on Friday. This uh, is dropping on Friday. Tickets are now officially on sale. Uh, so it's December first in Toronto. That's a Thursday. Uh, doors open at six o'clock. So basically, the itinerary quickly is six to seven. Come in. Uh, you get you get a complimentary drink ticket come in and then after that's cash bar, have a couple drinks, mingle. We rented out the entire Hockey Hall of Fame concourse. So like all the jerseys, memorabilia, video games, everything. You're going to have access to that entire thing. Uh, That's usually a $25 entry fee. So that's waived. That's included in the ticket price, which is 59 bucks. Includes a complimentary drink, appetizers. And then we're going to be doing the live podcast plus Q&A in the TSN theater room. Uh, so it holds about 150 people in there and, uh, it's going to be a great setup. And then afterwards we're going to open it up again to like more drinks, cash bar appetizers are, are included. And, uh, there's going to be like virtual games. You can get in, you can kind of wander through the concourse. Um, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a blast. We've had a lot of emails, DMS, uh, about tickets asking for a while. So I think this is going to move pretty quick, but, uh, yeah, come come hang out. It's gonna be a great time. Um, like I said, we'll there'll be a link in the show notes here uh, to access the Eventbrite page to to go purchase your ticket. So that's it. Keith will be there with his shitty jokes. Go
1: we'll ahead, go. I'm gonna count all of the have Stanley Cups over and over and over again. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs>
2: Do you well, guys ever do you guys remember the TV show um jeez uh, I'll come back do to this story the TV when I remember apparently <laughs> ah here we come Father Boop, Ted boomer moment Yeah it's a boomer moment Father Ted is a BBC uh, I've show heard of it. So you know if you so one thing that's great you know you have the whole you know British you know prime minister story going on you know they're comparing her life cycle as prime minister to the to the life cycle of, of a of a head of lettuce weren't they doing that this week yeah. wasn't that there yeah yeah it's amazing you know in in canada it's like uh, you know we think we're witty but we're not very witty relative to the brits like you guys are just outstanding over there but years ago um the, these uh they created the Irish created a, uh, like a, a sitcom about these Catholic priests living on this little small island called Craggy Island. And the, the Irish TV studios, whatever they were called, you know, they, they turned it down and so, said, no, you'll make too much fun of, of the Irish. We can't do that. Of course, the Brits, they say, well, we'll do it. So the BBC picked it up. And it's, uh, it's it's a great show. It's called Father Ted. It's about like this very senior priest, and then the main priest. His name is Father Ted. He's the main guy, and then the young guy is Dougal. And uh, so he's kind of like you, Rich. In that he has a lot of enthusiasm about stuff. But he, so your love for the Montreal Canadiens, he has the same love for the Irish uh, soccer team. So he sleeps with the his jersey on every night. So I envision you're kind of doing that kind of thing these days with the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. The best How did you part? know
1: I sleep with uh, a bunch of Canadian's boxer briefs?
2: <laughs> oh no. All right, here we go. So guys, no, I, this thing filmed here. in black and white too or what? Jesus.
0: Yeah.
2: Father um, Ted, it's one of the all-time greatest shows. Father
0: Ted. Cool. There you go. Yeah. There's a couple of happy boomers in the YouTube comments. Um yeah, let's uh but let's let's dive into it this week. We got a lot to talk about. Uh we got some updates on the Canadian housing national figures, more movement on interest rates. Uh, we've got a bank of Canada policy meeting next week. So there'll be a live Twinkie bet here coming up very shortly. Um, and then obviously, you know, what's happening with the fed, Japan, the UK, there's just a lot of, a lot of moving pieces these days, every week seems to be exciting. Um, but just looking on the national housing front, we had the data that came out. Um, so you have national house prices they slid another 1.4% month over month in september so 1.4% in september uh so national house prices since peaking uh they officially peaked in march as per the home price index they're now down 14% so that is the steepest correction since the index was created in 2005 um last like i said the last deepest correction we had was 9% decline, peak to trough. And so right now we're sitting at 14. And uh, given the recent move here in rates, uh, I think there's probably more pain to come because we've seen, not only are we going to see a Bank of Canada rate hike next week on October 26, but we're seeing an increase again um, on fixed rates. The Canada five-year bond continues to surge higher. So we've seen your your typical fixed rate mortgage is up about 30 basis points, uh, over the last 10, 10 plus days. Uh, so that's a big move. Uh, your Canada five year government bond right now is at 3.78, which I believe is the highest going back to 2007. I don't know if anyone's got that in the top of their screen there, but 2000 yeah 2008. So there you have it.
1: 2008,
0: eight nine. Two 2008, 2009. Yeah. So yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, more, more pain to come. We're going to get into the Canada's inflation data as well. Um, but let's, let's, let's leave that there for just one moment. Cause I want to touch on the recent movement, the recent backup in yields. Keith, do you have any kind of thoughts on this? I mean, you know, you're know, seeing government bond yields continue to push higher. Uh, you have a situation where, uh, you know, governments are still out there doing deficit spending, um, and, and obviously inflation concerns are still elevated.
2: Yeah, like that. It's it's starting to. I don't to use the word taper a little bit, but I guess that's what we have out there. Uh, you know, this relentless rise in, in long term yields. Um, it, it's still happening, and it seems like every time central banks, no matter which country you're in, they they talk hawkish. We'll come in. What the Bank of Canada will do next week. And then the Fed is on the week after that as well. But it's it's happening from an investment perspective. It's still pretty tough for uh, people who are stuck in the bond market. Um, and, and that's continuing to happen. I think the next thing, though, that's probably going to be, well, it is becoming more of a, a conversation again now. Remember a, few, remember a few weeks back, we started talking about there's going to be a recession coming up. And... No, that ain't going to happen. It's not even close. And now that's mainstream thinking. Who? I think months, one of the
1: not weeks, months. You were you were on it really
2: early, Keith. Yeah, and I'm just being, you know, Keith. But, humble uh, humble break. Humble, yeah. Uh, but one one of the which one of the Canadian banks came out? I think yesterday before they're predicting basically the first half of 23. So the first two quarters 23, Canada will be in recession and like we said last week you know we're going to start seeing some monthly data prints coming out now to see whether that's happening or not so if that's happening and you're stuck in the bond market um, you and you you're not in government bonds you're more in, in credit so corporate bonds and you know most people's bond portfolio is a, a bit of both so you would have taken it you know up up the nose with rates going higher if we go into recession and it's, it's a hard landing, like it's not a, one of these mild recessions, uh, then your corporate bonds, you know, they, you know, they probably won't have a good time either coming up. So it's all tied, tied together, Steve.
0: Yeah. there's a good, uh, little chart here on, um, on Twitter here. It says from bank of America, global research year to date, annualized return for the 60, 40 portfolio is the worst in a hundred years. So, ouch. Enjoy your, enjoy your retirement. Ouch. You'll be working for a lot
2: longer. But that's okay. If you're older and you know, you can't tolerate risk, you should be in the bond market. Cause that's what the Canadian investment industry tells you all the time. Ouch. Plug
0: ice cap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but this sort of tie. I
2: think what, this will tie into the, some of the meetings I had down in New York, um, there yesterday so we again like everything it, it is tied together so it, i think it's it'll be a fun a fun story that will you want to we'll get into that into now a or you f- want me to you want me to keep spewing out canadian well well we can wake people up with my story or you can yeah your story you fire fire away keith was hanging continue. out with all the all the guys well, i was gonna food. say
1: we could stick to canada and talk about inflation or get it up.
2: Now let's wake him up a little bit first. We'll we'll right. news later. I'll put
1: this, on... You set it up and I'll put it in sleep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll line them up, you can knock them down. Yeah, that's, that? right. that's right. Um okay, so yeah, so you know, jokes aside, though I, I was in, in New York for uh it was literally 24 hours. But um you're, you know, I, I do I do work with a guy down in the US. Um and um with the with the work that we do together, we 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 know some bigger names, and we just get opportunity to meet these Great guys. Name. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but in New York, so we first of all we had lunch with one of the guys who who was featured in, in the Big Short movie and and book. So uh, I'm not going to say which which it was Steve Carell, Ben Bernanke. <laughs> <laughs> it was the actual person. It wasn't. Yeah, Ben Bernanke It was the mortgage broker.
0: Yes, yeah. that's the best.
2: Guy. Yeah, those two guys from Florida. Yeah, it wasn't there. It was, or was a it a stripper. It's a, gully. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stripper. <laughs> we win. The stripper with five, five houses and a condo. Right. But uh, yeah, so we, you know, we, um, so we had lunch with with this guy, and uh, you know, we we're hanging out for probably an hour, maybe hour and a half, whatever. And it was kind of interesting, right? If you meet, if you meet people who gain celebrity status for whatever reason. My approach is to never bring it up. I just don't, you know, talk about it. And um, that that's just what I do all the time. But but this guy, he's, he's still managing money, of course. He's really deep into it. So you want to share ideas and say, hey, hey, you know what? What are they thinking? And just because they got it right once before, it doesn't mean they'll get it right again. You know what I mean? It's just the way it works. But the main way to describe uh, this guy um, and, you know, and, and he said as well, he said, you know, like three of us, so myself and the other guy I was with, he said, uh, he said, like, we get along because we're all skeptical about things. And the reason they had success back during the uh, in the housing crisis, because they were skeptical th- about stuff and they were able to see through all the BS out there and see through the industry and they know how things work and how money flows. So they, that's how they got the opportunity. So, uh, you know, we're going back and forth, have, having a great conversation. But, you know, just to sort of summarize it, the, the views that they have today, it, it's very similar to the views that, you know, three of us are talking about all the time. Uh, a lot of other people that, that I know as well. But that view, it it's probably represents, I'll say, 1% of the market. Because most of the market, 97% is always asleep. You know, they just sit on the money and, and that's it. And the 3%, that's awake. Uh, of that three, two of them think the U.S. dollar is going to crash because of, you know, the twin deficits and, and stuff like that. Then it's the other 1%. Um, and they see things sort of in line the same way that we see. But so the biggest risk that we, we talked about with this guy was we say, you know, OK, well, exactly, you know, where is the risk? Like, where do you see things really breaking these days? And he said, oh, it, it's he said the biggest risk today is in sovereign debt markets, which is totally aligned with what we talk about as well. Yeah. And this is the next part, which is a great member, like we didn't share notes beforehand or anything. He said, however, governments will do everything on the power. To contain the risk in the bond market so this is japan today because if if they let the bond market go belly up it immediately puts pension funds go under insurance companies go under banks go under governments go under like nothing works in that environment so we we all agree that you know they will always do whatever they can to try to be like the japanese are being proactive about it the brits were reactive about it right so uh and then of course you know the conclusion was that the risk will get expressed in currency markets and, and again like that's what we talk about quite a bit these days so um, yeah that was his view and you know there wasn't a lot of other you can ask me questions i'll say yeah yeah actually we did bring this up and, and that up but that, that's the general view and, and they're positioned for it as well and uh a lot of people in their network they're positioned for that too. So there, there is this. Sorry, growing... they position,
1: sorry what they positioned? Sorry, they positioned for? Are they positioned for the government to come and protect the bond yield, or are they positioned for further pain in the bond market?
2: They're positioned to benefit in the FX market.
1: Okay. Yeah. So
2: because the bond market, because they're suppressing price discovery in, in the bond market, um, they know the risk will get reflected in currency Got markets, it. right? Got it. Okay. So. So if you think about that now today, like over the last few weeks, we've had the Bank of England, they've had to interfere into the bond market, you know, the rescue, uh, you know, the, the British guilt market. Uh, the Japanese are also doing it on their end. They're trying to save both the bond market and the FX market. We'll talk about the Japanese in a second. And then now over in Europe, uh, you know, they're doing the exact same thing And in all three places. This is the irony involved. So, you know, you know, most people are listening to our show, you know, it, you know, I, I chat with a, a lot of people out there and you know, everyone's really in tune. Like it, it's, it's great. We have a great echo chamber, by the way, and I love it. But, um, <laughs> Is that a good thing? Yeah, we all love it. Hey, you have a rich voice today. That's good. Well, better. Hey, thank Keith, you. what's, the, yeah.
0: uh, what, what, what's your opinion of like what? what is, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? You've got this sovereign debt bubble. Uh, like literally the title of our last podcast was, you know, the Canadian government facing, you know, surging interest costs. So all these governments around the world, you know, we've got this inflation problem. Rates are going up. The bond market's doing what it needs to do. And uh, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of discussion around, you know, at least in the mainstream around, you know, governments and and their ability from a longer term perspective to service the interest costs at, at these levels of interest. Where do you feel today is the, is the greatest risk uh, at the sovereign level,
2: country Um Which country you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so this will come into the next next meetings they had as well. So we're just tying it together. So if you think and this will apply to Canada. So right now you have the Japanese, the Brits, and the Europeans. They're all raising interest rates, you know, as as the Americans are and the Canadians and everyone else, but they're also doing QE. Yeah. So they're doing this ah. to support. So it it just doesn't make sense. I mean, like there's no well, it's yield curve unif- control. They're they're managing, they want to manage
1: that price of the bond, which is another way of saying they're managing the yield curve, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but they're provide, that's providing stimulus. So they're providing stimulus at the long end of the curve, right? Because they're trying to keep rates as low as possible. Uh, they're also indirectly funding the government on, on the fiscal side. I'm aware of that. <laughs> yeah, Rich, is a, Rich gets in trouble when he talks about that. But they're raising rates on the short end of, of the curve. So like none of this makes sense. And again, like this is something that we're always talking and, and laughing at. Because um, again, like you, you, they can't teach this in university because it it doesn't reconcile, it just doesn't make sense. Um, So, when you look around the world, see, we say, Hey, like what's going to happen next? The likely event in Canada, for example, is that you can see the Bank of Canada, they're still raising rates, but they have to start QE again right that's that's the next step that will likely happen as, as we continue to go around the world and you know so again like I got a lot of stuff I don't I don't mean to dominate the uh, the conversation today but a lot of it is sort of tied and, and linked linked together
0: well um, no I mean I think like just coming back to Canada here right I mean like you said like the Canada five-year bond yet continues to float higher and higher and it's like at what point the, the things just completely like you know what I mean? Like you got so you have mortgage rates at six, did they get to seven? Can they get to eight? You know, like it, it just with the amount of debt in the system and you've built an entire economy on basically asset prices, you know, particularly in housing at a certain level, you know, people just think you, you can you can't you can't just have let's say a fifty percent collapse in national house prices without wiping out the banks, right? So it's really not as simple as just giving it a quick cleanse and saying, okay, this is healthy for the market. Let's reset house values to, you know, whatever price to income ratios you feel satisfied with. It's, it's really, I think for people listening to this, it's really, not, it's not that simple, right? So there's there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, but um, yeah, Keith, your point. It's, I, I mean, does, I, I think, does a bank account really have though the capacity? I mean, we're so, such a small, really in the grand scheme of things, a meaningless country the ability to actually run QE. Like every, every other nation would have to run it first, I would imagine, before the Bank of Canada could come in.
2: Uh, well, I mean, they're already running it, of course, right? So really, you know, the Canadians and, and the and Americans, you know, they're the ones that are not doing it right now. But think about, because it's the other thing, like for example, because I, I, I shared the challenge that the provincial bond market has up here. There's no liquidity. Right and like and he's laughing. He said, "Yeah, we're we're well aware. We're watching that closely." And then we joked about, "Okay, how do you play that market?" And it's like some of these opportunities are hard to do sometimes. But Steve, let's just say we get a situation where rates do scream higher and the interest burden. Scream like we keep using Newfoundland as example because they have the highest percentage of their tax revenues going to that right now. So just say all of a sudden you know they need help. So the Bank of Canada they'll announce QE again. What they'll do it as as a general blanket statement. They're not going to say it's just for Newfoundland because then Newfoundland's getting bailed out and you just can't run in and the Bank of Canada can't bail out Newfoundland. Ottawa has to bail out. Newfoundland. Do you see what I mean? So, you could, I could easily see the environment coming up very soon when the, uh, the cost of rolling over debt, for, for whatever reason, it just spikes higher. And then the Bank of Canada step in. So, to keep an eye on that, that any of these events is likely going to be coinciding with you know, a risk off in, in other markets. So, I mean, like, we're, we are not very positive on the Canadian dollar at all. Um, you know, we hope our view it, it doesn't play out, but the opportunity is there. You know, for Canadian dollar to come down hard. What do you versus see? As the, the U.S. dollar versus the U.S. dollar, to be clear. Uh, correct.
0: Correct. Sorry. So what do you What do you see as the opportunities or the probabilities, I should say, of like one flush higher in in bond yields, like just like a one. So that's big what. Well, I, that's where I want to step in. in.
1: That's where I want to step in because I think that that we're we're sort of talking cross purposes here. If we're absolutely convinced that there's a recession, you can make the case that the US has already been in recession, two negative quarters of GDP growth. And you think that in that recession, you're going to have demand destruction and you're already starting to see inflation expectations roll over. We talked about that last week, those four, five, six different indicators. The idea that you wouldn't want to own bonds at 5%, At the front end of the curve, or maybe at the long end of the curve, I mean, there's a, the the reason bonds got killed is convexity and duration. When you have a really, really low interest rate and you go up to like from five, from five, 50 basis points to one, you get absolutely killed. When you're at 5%, let's say I'm looking at the IBOX overall global bond yield at 5.1%, you're being compensated for term premium inflation If there's really terrible growth, it's not necessarily at all clear that you wouldn't want to own those bonds at these levels. And again, under the premise that you're convinced there's a recession. So even if you, because of the duration and because of the income that you're now getting, if you, even if you go up a hundred basis points, you only lose one year of income. Whereas six or 10 months ago or 12 months ago, you would have lost four or five years of income. And so that's, you know, that's where I think I, I'd like to push back on this view that you would never want to own bonds. I can't believe I'm freaking saying that out loud, but I think things have changed a bit. Uh,
2: so, so that this sort of ties in. So, you know, after we had lunch with, with this guy, um, we, we then had a meeting with, it was about a dozen pension funds and other institutions from some of the Nordic European countries. So they were, they were over. So, um, they wanted to hear, oh, uh, by the way, guys, my, my friend is Brent Johnson. So Brent and I are over there together doing these meetings. And Well, um, the milkshake man. Yeah, the milkshake man. <laughs> uh, by the way, Brent's one of the nicest guys around. He, he, he really is a good guy. Um, anyway, so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're chatting with, you know, the, this, these European pension fund managers and, you know, things like that. And that was one of the questions. He would say, you know, they said, one of the guys said, it's a lot easier today holding say a four percent you know t bill because you're gonna get four percent which is a lot better than zero you know about a year ago plus in their view same with ours maybe they can pick up another three four five ten percent on the FX side so so Richard your comment is absolutely right on like on the front end of the curve of course it comes down to you know how much further will will you know short rates go um but if you're just holding, you know, the, the T-bills on, on that side or a one-year note, you know, that that is the opportunity now is absolutely there. But the risk, though, with everyone else is that an event happens that causes the bond market to spike, so yields to spike higher, like like the UK event, as an example. And so that sort of ties in. So like one of the conversations uh, that we're having with, with, with this European group, uh, so if anyone knows pension fund management very well, you know, they... Um, they, they use a thing called LDI, liability-driven investment. Like That's one of the, the names they'll attach to. So basically, they, they, people only think of pension funds as assets, you know, a big bucket of money. Um, but pension funds view themselves having a big bucket of money, and another, with another big bucket, that's the money they owe out to pensioners. And there's a lot of things involved with it, but you always try to match your assets to your liabilities, so you can be in the, in, in the pension fund world, and I had this conversation about five years ago up in, uh, up in Toronto with, with a couple of funds, and they, they, they didn't believe me at the time. And because if long-term rates scream higher and they lose money on their pension assets, right, because rates went up, the price of the bonds went down, they said that doesn't matter because then when they're discounting back their liabilities, it's discounted back using a higher rate, which means they owe less money. So they say it's a wash, like they're not concerned about it whatsoever. To which, you know, I I replied, I said, well, what if you have permanent losses on that bond portfolio? And they said, oh, you know, we hold sovereign debt and double, triple A rated, corporate debt, mortgage-backed security, CDO, CM, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So in, in that whole world, the entire concept that the bond market was risky, it didn't exist. But now it does exist. So, so this group that we were speaking with, you know, they're very concerned about being able to be able to structure correctly you know, to protect themselves. And the point is, everyone's just trying to protect themselves these days because they're afraid of you know, the, the big sort of black swan event in the room is the dollar surging higher, screaming higher. And the best thing is, everyone is now aware of it, but few people still believe it. A lot of people still believe it's going to go the other way around. So, you know, it's a great opportunity to make money if that event happens. There
0: you go. What about, uh, wouldn't mind touching, Rich, do you want to touch on Canadian inflation? I know we touched on briefly in the the early of the show, but, I mean, again, a lot of this obviously hinges on, you know, we're talking about recessions and inflation and where yields are going. Um, You know, everybody seems hyper-focused these days on every CPI print, right? Everyone's just salivating on their screens. It's funny. It feels like it's been so interesting because I always like you just pull the average person that you walk in, you know, down the street or you run into a coffee shop or, you know, I got other realtors in our office here. And like the fact that everybody's like now like, Hey, did you guys see the latest inflation data coming out like the fact that everyone like that doesn't even pay attention to finance is now talking about like the cpi release is kind of hilarious but i don't know if you want to walk us through your 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 stats there and any sort of thoughts on the uh most recent drop
1: sure i mean but before we get into that i would say that to me that is a massive contrarian innovation. i agree Uh, I I use, not to be total prick, but I use uh, CBC, for example, as my contrarian indicator. I've actually mentioned this to my mother and my sister, you know, when they're listening to the radio and they hear about a particular financial or macroeconomic phenomenon, I ask them to report back and to tell me, uh, because to me, that's the signal that that thing is now over and it's been priced in and it's well understood. And lo and behold... Um, The inflation that came out um, yesterday was the September number, even though it's October, obviously, and headline inflation fell again. Again, it's the rate of change is falling to 6.9. Core rose slower than I I don't know if it was expected or not, but it's clearly starting to roll over. The key thing for me was goods. Goods continues to fall on on energy, transportation. Those are the big things. Unfortunately, Food, which we still eat, thank God we don't eat bugs yet. Um, that continues to rise. Um, you know, you got other things like shelter, which we've talked a lot about. I was expecting it to roll over with the weakness in housing. That didn't, so it still contributed a significant amount to inflation. Um, you know, I think was it. We always talk about this the forty percent number, right? Um, yeah, core was five point three, shelter was six point eight, but it, its contribution actually grew a little bit. So we've talked about this. It's going to be sticky. One way of measuring that stickiness is looking at services inflation, which stopped rising, but it's still quite high at 5.57. And then my favorite numbers, which the Bank of Canada completely ignored, because why hire a bunch of PhDs if you're not going to ignore them? seems like uh, the right thing to do when you're a central bank. The Central Bank of Canada has three preferred measures of core inflation, and all three sort of stopped rising and have started to fall. So I think that, you know, back to my sort of being a bit of a prick, but the the point about CBC and your regular guy being a contrarian indicator, I would say that that is, you know, it's holding true in this circumstance, who knows, I think it'll be interesting to see how food gets higher and higher. I'm surprised by that number, actually, because we import a lot of food, uh, the energy piece you know, is definitely starting to drag on inflation. I think, so We let's be careful about that. Who knows what will happen in Russia and oil. Again, Canada does not refine any oil or very little. We produce about 5 million barrels a day and we refine about 1.5. Um, if you're wondering about gas prices, you know, and you see Joe Biden, for example, release this the strategic petroleum reserve. That's specifically to do with the lack of refining capacity, not the crude oil capacity, which is related to gas prices and which related to energy components, CPI, on and on and on. But anyways, so that that's starting to drag on inflation, and we'll see. I mean, you know, that's what we. I mean, that's why you know, again, back to this bond conversation. You know, wh- how you value bonds is trickier than how you look at value or valuation for equities. For equities, you look at price earnings ratios, dividend yields, price to book, price to sales, EVD, EBITDA, on and on and on. For bonds, you look at things like inflation, you look at ex- growth, pa- path of growth. You might add those together over long-term. You might look at things like duration, convexity. What are you being compensated if things go wrong? And it, you know, in a world where inflation expectations do roll and you do get lower inflation going forward, can't believe i'm saying this but those bonds at four five six percent we're talking about government bonds are starting to i don't know maybe they're attractive again
0: um the youtube comments are going to go
1: off but i know i mean it's, it's so, fu- rich but it, rich, it's,
2: oh, rich what if you made a bond right now at a bar what is your pickup line uh <laughs> The Montreal Canadiens and, boxers. Uh, I was going to say, uh, inflation expectations are starting to roll or roll over. <laughs> like I, I, I somewhat agree with with what you were just sharing with us. Um, the market view on the latest CPI number was was uh, that it was quite hawkish. Yeah. So the yeah. So it, so when you're managing money, um, you know, our view it, it's irrelevant. Sometimes it's it's what how the data is is received. So just so everybody know is that the data that did come out it was received to be quite hawkish. I sure your your view as well. And when well, Keith which, you know, when way, Keith
0: says hawkish he means like the market was like oh the inflation basically isn't coming down as quick or as off, much yeah. as they had hoped. So so obviously central banks are going to have to basically do more on the inflation fighting. Uh, part just so there's some clarity there.
2: Continue. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know, plus the Bank of Canada, they were out speaking this week as well, and they reiterated what was his exact words. Yeah, inflation remains the most immediate threat. Yeah, to mankind, person kind, whatever they just- want to call it. Yeah, so this can, is, right. to
1: me, this is great news because, you know, you, Keith, you mentioned we should think about what is and not what should be. And what is, is that they're going to tighten too much. Yeah. Right. It, 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 like, I think that that's in my view that that's, I, you know, that that's my, my view. I think they're going to tighten too much just and too long, just like they tightened too late and not enough <laughs> at the beginning of the cycle. Um, because if you look at, a, like, if you look at just across the board, all the components I think are starting to weaken. Um, and so, so this, to me so this probably that.
2: brings us to our Twinkie bet for next week then. Whoa, oh yeah, there you go. Whoa, whoa, we get that? whoa, a whoa, whoa, i I got some, Steve got some needs more commentary to on that. Something.
0: I'm upset. No, just the reason why it's just, I guess we talked about earlier about the sentiment side. All like the like the comments on YouTube and like I get like DMs on Twitter or Instagram. Everyone goes, you know, how can you say inflation's coming down? Like this the the amount of like lopsided commentary that I get, like everybody's on the same trade that inflation, like and in like to your point, Rich, like it is changing from a rate of change perspective. It's almost impossible to beat last year's, you know, eight percent year over year growth. Like I I think the, the argument that people keep coming back to is like yeah, but like, just wait, you know, the, there's, there's not enough oil going around and, and Europe's going to be, you know, going through the, what, I mean, but if you look at utility prices, gasoline prices in, in, in Europe, they're, they're, they're down a lot. I mean, again, they're, they're probably going to have another spike back up, but to me, there's, it just, it's so overhyped at this point. I agree. I think,
2: yeah. Well, one of the comments you made, so I think for, for, um, for people to maybe appreciate, to, to say inflation is coming down, it doesn't mean prices are coming down. Right. It means that prices are not going up as fast as they are. And I know, you know, people who are not in the investment world say, "Man, that's just, just, just screwed up, man. That, that's bad." And but this is the investment world we we live in. That that's the way that they'll price things so at, at some point and we're not there yet by the way because you know we'll do our bet here in a second but uh, that the central banks they're going to continue to raise rates right now they're telling you we do not care what the inflation rate number is coming out if it supports us that's great if it doesn't we're going to come back and tell you next week your your, your thinking is wrong so, uh, but the great equalizer to this, you know, for them to really get inflation down is for the, economy, for the economy to come down hard with it. And as we keep saying, like now we're entering that time frame when we should start to see, you know, weak, weaker data come out, which will bring, you know, demand down less money that people have to, to buy things. And it's a very soft way of saying a, not a nice event, right? Like a recession is it's not nice, but it's, it's likely where we're headed. Pretty rare to see a central bank cheering on a recession, though, right? So it just kind of highlights
0: the interesting times that we live in. Um, oh, I've heard,
2: I got oh, a story. I got just one straight. more thing
0: on the inflation thing as I put it on Twitter. So, like the one thing you'll notice, Rich, and I'm sure you're, I'm not sure if you took a close eye at it or not, but I was screening through that CPI uh, report, and uh, so there's two things that were saying that were contributing to to you know. Not, I don't know if they call it the rise in inflation, but because inflation was maybe more sticky than we had initially expected, was that they have uh, furniture and car prices still are accelerating to the upside right now. And I don't know about you, but like everywhere you go, every furniture shop in Vancouver is reducing their prices. They have too much stock. Uh, The days of record home sales and everybody trading homes and going and buying brand new furniture to furnish their new home is no longer a thing. There's hardly, there's 20 year lows in transaction. Nobody needs a new couch. Uh, You've had two of the largest furniture stores in Canada, reducing their headcount, reducing their employment, employees. And so we're saying, oh, furniture store prices are going up. Uh, Extremely skeptical there. And then the other thing was they have car prices are still going up. Yet, if you look at the uh, the Mannheim Index, which tracks used car prices in the US, not only are they not up, but they're down 10% on a year-over-year basis. So used car prices are down 10%. But can is saying car prices are still accelerating to the upside. And I, you know, I've had several anecdotal stories in the last couple of weeks of people that ordered new cars to purchase, and they were given timelines of oh yeah you'll have your car in six six or seven months and all of a sudden they got them four or five weeks and i i, I'm, I this is no this is no best this is people that are very very close to me and they're like oh they're like, oh yeah my car is coming in like i gotta go now sell my my used one that i have here because i wasn't expecting it until march and it's coming in next week and you're like well that's weird like so i it just again i just look at some of the data sometimes you have to like You know, we're obviously trying to be data driven and and factual type of podcast, but I think sometimes you have to overlay the anecdotes and and start to sort of do that juggling act of like, is the data telling us the whole picture here? So can I I just
1: add something really quickly? So I totally agree. Sorry, Keith, just really quick. but So I totally agree with you, Stephen. I would just remind everybody that when inflation was starting to rise and we were incredulous about the numbers that it took a while the truth is it's it's you know a lagging indicator it's year on year stuff but the other thing that i think is important to note is that there's you know there's there's information in the price so something we i look at is something called bellwethers we've discussed this before so like stocks have information they have the expectations of future cash flows that are priced in the market that is information and when we look at like housing uh, i can't remember the name of the sleep country all these like whatever um, housing markets you look at you know all of these different stock prices will have sort of, quote, unquote, anecdotal evidence on particular economic and
2: macroeconomic phenomena. Sorry, uh, I just wanted to add that. Uh, that's that's of... a
0: really good point.
2: Um, Keith, I love anecdotal because, you know, because the data we look at, it is lagging. It takes a while to come out with stuff like that. Anecdotal stories is, is real time. So that, I, I love that, Steve. That's a good uh, we have to stress test. You have to stress test those views with
1: raw data, with sentiment, with market pricing, with anecdotes. That's how you. That's.
0: What I actually you want to call. get your quick opinion on this because this is a very interesting topic. And I, like I said, I I like I love sometimes just chatting with like the normal person out there that doesn't really isn't finance focused, doesn't really care about macroeconomics, but you know they might read the odd news headline, and everybody is convinced that the bank account, no matter what, or the Fed or whoever central bank you you talk to or follow is that until inflation gets to exactly 2%, interest rates will keep going up. And so everybody's so focused on inflation coming from eight to 6.9. They're saying, well, it still has to go from 6.9 back down to two. And I would argue, I'm curious your thoughts. Maybe we don't ever get inflation back down to two for the next several years. Maybe we're just at three three and a half, maybe, maybe do central banks find a way to live in a world with 4% inflation for the next two, three,
2: four years? Uh, No. You don't think so? Okay. I think yes. Well, maybe Rich doesn't understand the question.
1: Will inflation be three or 4% for the next four years?
2: No, I think I, I interpreted the question as Do central banks believe they can get it down to a certain level and it'll? Oh, that part. Oh, sorry. I ignored that. No, no. My my question is,
0: (laughs) Mike. Yeah, my question basically is, I my personal view on the world today is that inflation is coming down. It's going to continue to come down because we're engineering this hardish landing. But I think that you could still be in a world because you know we've talked about these the energy shortages and whatnot and uh, labor force and whatnot. I think you could very well be stuck in an, an, in an environment over the next two to, let's say, five years where inflation is stickier at 3 to 4%. And so do central banks, they have an official mandate, quote-unquote, of 2% inflation target. Does that mandate have to somewhat evolve and change for the times, which is like you can raise rates as much as you want. There's no guarantee that you're going to get inflation to 2%. Can can they and will they potentially live with inflation at three three and a half percent for the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, I mean they'll they'll move the goalposts. But here's another thought: for the world to go into an environment where we're getting two or three percent inflation year after year for the next one, three, eight years, whatever you want to talk about, by default, you're implying that there's no crisis in the bond market right? Sovereign debt becomes resolved and, and all that. And I don't think that's possible. I, I think there is going to be a resolution to that. A resolution to a bad debt problem is bad debt, it gets recognized. So I could see us going into a world where there is a sovereign debt crisis that, that does happen. And if that happens, you know what happens with your you know, your 3 or 4% inflation number? anyone Bueller goes goes down yeah it's a negative sign in front so you get this massive deflationary boom. yeah I'll,
1: I'll definitely right? take the other and, side on that I'll take the other side on that
2: but, but what you're but by taking the other side rich I, it means you believe there's no problem in, in the bond market around the world I, f- I everyone think there are,
1: absolutely is a there's a problem yeah. in the bond market and the way that you solve it is having your implicit price deflator your nominal GDP your inflation for the whole economy be very high. Or higher, excuse me, than target for a long time. If you look at debt to GDP ratios across the board, they're already. But it doesn't work though. So walk,
2: walk me through the what do you mean environment. Work? Where...
1: It's worked in 1946 to 1960 in the U.S. It's it worked in Japan. Japan's debt to GDP has actually come off its highs. Nominal GDP so is very today, powerful drug.
2: So for today, then you're, you're you're implying we have to get the economy to grow again at what four or five. No, no, in nominal six, terms. In no, yeah, absolutely. So, so then you take okay, re- eight, re- nine, is- ten, eight or, nine real- or 10. Right. Walk through the numbers. How are we going to do that by having governments not continue to do deficit spending, by have central banks not having higher rates, by not having you know all, all these things? Like, I just I, I know it makes sense in theory, but my view is that that's what they've been trying to do and it still hasn't been we I mean, think about it. We, we've had zero and negative rates for about 15 years almost. And the only thing that it's fixed is that it's enabled everyone to borrow more money. So I, I don't think, I'm not a believer in that we can get through this current. I, I do think that we've reached this the top of the, the debt mountain. Something has to get restructured and, I don't know if it's sovereign debt gets restructured, household debt, corporate debt, but it, it doesn't continue along this path without the bad, because there's bad debt out there in the world, without it getting marked to market.
1: I, 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 I agree. However, you know, I, I agree with that. It's fine. But I think that the, no one is going to want to face that pain. And the way that you deal with the fact that nobody is willing to take any kind of austerity, there's no political will to deal with austerity. There's no political will to take any kind of haircuts on any of this bogus debt. And the way that you get around that is the tried, tested, true, you, you inflate that debt away. It's as old as the Romans. I, I really, but, but this idea not do, that people are right just going to get together. They're
2: trying to take away the inflation now. So it's the opposite. I don't understand. Again, I can't reconcile how it works. I, I get that.
1: But you all you need to do is you have your nominal debt to GDP. Sorry, your nominal, you, the, the implicit price deflator right, go at like six. And it totally changes your, your debt dynamics quickly. So it's just, you know, it's not, you don't need a lot of inflation. You need just more than what we've had. And then, you know, for all the things that you've mentioned with is which is all these like negative impulses that are dragging down inflation, I would submit to you that the labor market forces that we've talked about, the age dependency ratio is positive for wages. I think that the idea that, you know, you have a situation where the labor market is going to, is going to win versus corporates. You have an age, battle of old boomers who are asset rich versus young, uh, less. Did you say boomers? <laughs> I think say that boomer? there's, I just, for me, the idea that we're there, all these countries are going to get together in a room and then give everybody a 60% haircut and everybody's going to walk away happy without war to me seems very unlikely. And the more likely scenario is how all of debt problems have always been solved, which is you inflate it away.
0: There was a good piece from Russell Napier. I, I mean, I don't know, if, whatever your thoughts are on him, I think he's a well-respected guy, but yeah, you know, he's rightfully called disinflation for the last decade plus. And he had the inflation call at the, the beginnings of the pandemic, correct? And he just updated his sort of piece. And and yeah, I think he shares a similar view to Rich, which is, he, I mean, he feels that inflation is actually going to settle in around four to 6% uh, over the next you know, five years or so. Uh, And he thinks that governments are basically going to continue to to, to fund massive deficit spending through government guarantees on, on credit issuance. Um, And he believes that central bankers are actually have become impotent because uh, governments have actually become, they've they've taken over the printing press, so to speak, right? If the government can provide government guarantees on commercial bank loans, it it prompts uh, commercial banks to issue more credit and expand the monetary base. So, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. Again, he's so- not not to say he's he's going to be completely right or wrong, but he he views that inflation will be elevated, uh, and it's just something that we're going to have to eventually just learn to live with and tolerate. Uh, and that will, to Rich's point, that will deflate
2: um, your debt to GDP burdens. Over I mean, time, to get I, I know that piece that Russell just put out. Um, to get to that point, it, it's implying we're really. It, it implies that central banks or governments are nationalizing the global bond market. I mean, that's effectively what it's what it's talking about. And if you do that, risk will get reflected in the currency market. So, but if, if everybody's in, doing it, it, it doesn't does it? happen all at the same time, Steve. Yeah. Like, for example. Let's just say the the Brits weren't able. The Brits got bailed out with the Fed, by the way. The Fed is, by the way, the Fed. Everyone, they're pumping billions these days, like through through the various swap lines they have to help everyone. Um, and they only help their friends. They don't help their non-friends. So, China, for example, like they're they're in serious trouble. But if you're just say in Canada, let's just say our currency goes to fifty cents. And everyone else in the world, they, they it doesn't their currency stays flat. All of a sudden, you know we are we we're exporting deflation out of Canada. So whoever buys Canadian stuff, which is oil, but we're importing inflation, right? The, mm. That's what happens in that environment. And is it going to be Canada, the Japanese, the Australians? I, I don't know. But again, like this, this belief that we're going to be able to go from a period of, you know, forty years with rates always coming down and then hitting zero and staying flat for fifteen years while everyone borrows beyond belief, and that includes everyone listening, right? Households as well as corporations and and governments, and then all of a sudden rates are taking off again and expecting things to settle down without someone not bearing a cost. So as an example. Wait, you, we like, do know I, who's going to bear the cost. Sorry, sorry go ahead. The yeah, we, we all do. it. Yeah, but that gets like socialized. But that like gets socialized. So as an example, pension funds, I would argue most of the big pension funds in the world today have about anywhere from, say, 5 to 30% in, in private equity or private debt or private credit, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a lot of this stuff is being – when you mark that on your book – because there's no open market for it, you basically price it at what you believe at the correct prices. A lot, I'm seeing it now, and it was obviously what we heard from, from the, some of these meetings over, the, over yesterday. Um, there's now a growing belief that the marks on a lot of these private equity, private credit or, or, or debt issuances out there, it's priced up here. Whereas we know that the equivalent liquid markets are priced down here. So the reason that's a challenge, if for, some, and remember these pension funds, a lot of they do want it through third party management and stuff like that. If all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, you get that first olive moving out of the jar, you know, you can't get them out. They're stuck together. You, you eat olives. No. Okay. I love olives. You love <laughs> olives, but you, you get, you know, they start coming rumbling out one at the time, but there, there is an opportunity here when all of a sudden you get a liquidity event in private equity or private credit. And all of a sudden, everyone has to mark these positions to market, which is what the actual price is. And then all of a sudden, you have a lot of these pension funds. You know, all of a sudden they're boom, like boom, ten percent gone. You know, per, you know, there she was, permanent loss on it, and so forth. So again, this this thought that the world is able to smooth over the any potential loss in the bond market—that's completely false. That it ain't going to happen. So because it ain't going to happen. I don't know how we're able to extend to a nice soft landing. Yes, Rich. Wait,
1: wait a second. The
2: bond market in the
1: UK is down like 40%. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the the 20 the twenty year Canadian bond is down 30%. Is that a, would you consider that a soft landing? I think that you've already seen a significant, as you've described it, permanent loss in these bonds. Because I don't think the, I I would not, you know, I don't think the, uk guilt is gonna rally you know rally from here to recover all of the it's loss. so they in a way so it's not permanent
2: already, so a bond isn't it doesn't have a permanent I know, mark I,
1: on it until it's you know i know i know i i, I get that yeah. what i mean is like the index level the index the bond index is down you know 30 and 40 yeah. percent in some cases um and so isn't that the pain that you're Describing, I mean, if you look at LQD, which is an investment grade bond ETF, you know, we're down 20%. If you look at HYG, which is a high yield bond ETF, we're down 20 and 30%. So you've already had a significant re-rating in those bonds, in much the way that you've actually described. So you know, if it goes down another 20%, you're down at 50% for peak to trough. Man, that's a hell of a
2: re-rating. I'm not saying that that's going to feel good. Don't get me wrong. I'm no, just saying- yeah, you you, uh, you have to look at it. You're looking at it from like a a, a private client retail investment perspective. From a, a pension okay. fund perspective, if they're if all of a sudden you're gated on your fund, you can't get your money out in your defined benefit pension plan, and you got to do these actuarial studies, I think it's every three years they're required to do it. And all of a sudden you have permanent losses and then the company who the plan sponsor is, it might be the government, it might be a big company, who, who knows, they have to start you know, putting more money into it. I'm just saying it creates the potential for a liquidity event where all of a sudden, so you wanna get back to that magical growth rate where, you know, where Door the Explorer is sprinkling pixie dust everywhere and all that stuff. Um, you can't have it because then private capital—it's it, not going out into the economy, like it, it's frozen. So, the, and again, these are the risks. Now, you know, today, of course, I've started going down this path where the sun isn't shining. But it, it sort of ties in with if you recognize the potential risks that are out there. It doesn't mean it has to happen, but boy, it's—we agree I on both. We how, agree on that. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's going to be really hard. I agree. To, to come, so the best case scenario for the world is that we do get a, a bit of a soft recession and the recession lasts for two or three years. You know, it just becomes a grind and we will adapt to that. Like the Japanese yen, for example, they are adjusting to a gradual continual decline in the yen. If the yen... Like goes whap, right? It, it gets whacked really hard. Uh, that's not good. I know you saw the Japanese export numbers. Did you see those last night? No. Yeah. See, I'm a I mean, I'm, nice. I'm, money never sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's one of the reasons why I, <laughs> I, I'll never be able to stay in New York full time or anything because, you know, I like my sleep.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, to get know. it.
2: Can, can I ask you a
1: question, Keith? <laughs> Which is, you know, you mentioned... The, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, what do you think governments will do? Do you think they'll just keep on, you know, printing money? And do you think they'll just keep spending and keep deficit spending? You know, we're about to walk in to the November midterms, something we haven't discussed at all. And we probably should, given we made a prediction at the beginning of the year. Um, and the Republicans are gonna take control of Congress, maybe the Senate. Who knows what's gonna happen in twenty twenty-four? But I, but I, my question to you is: Do you think that the populist Republican president, who will no doubt be elected in 2024, do you think he'll run a a, a budget surplus or a budget
2: deficit? It's impossible for the Americans to run a surplus. They, it just. Structurally, they they can't do it because the amount of gar- uh, 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 mandatory spending—I think that's the word—is—is is yeah. it mandatory or yeah, yeah whatever? It's, it's social security that's locked in. Yeah, just social security and then their you know their defense budget. It it's, even that's enough to overwhelm. So my answer is no. I don't think any government. If we have a new Canadian government coming in, just to say it came in tomorrow, um, are they going to start running a, a balanced budget? No. No, no. way will come out with a plan that after five years, it'll be balanced. And guess what never happens with any of these? It doesn't matter so, what, which that they're not able to do it. But then that's my point on the whole inflation
1: thing. You need like this idea that there's going to be austerity as like the linchpin of this deflationary view. I, I just I don't I don't buy that. And maybe that's a conversation for a different day. We can explore that. Um, maybe Here is just to kind of wrap up the weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think austerity is happening. (laughs) This this is a prolonged conversation for the Hockey Hall of Fame. (laughs) That's right, December first. But (laughs) I'm kind of curious, Keith. Did you guys chat about? um, I'm just because I'm just looking at the screen here. You know, we chatted when we started uh, started opening the show here. We had the Canada five-year bond at three point seven, ending up the show here. It's now at three eight five. You know, moved fifteen basis points in an hour. So uh, this is not. A healthy functioning market. I mean, Keith, did you guys do you follow it all like a whole lot like the move index, which was created by uh, I think it was Harley Harley Bassman there, Mike Green's buddy. Um, the move index, which is currently at 147, it's higher than the the onsets of the pandemic there at 133. So you really have extreme volatility in in bond markets right now. I I mean, how much are you paying close attention to that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I, I have the move index I'm on my screen here. It's at one forty-seven seventy-three right now. I can see it. Um, so one of, one of the view right now with that is because you know the the Japanese are trying to you know defend the yen, uh, the Chinese are trying to defend the yuan. And by the way, that the Chinese are fixing CNY a little bit higher, like every single day. Like they're really struggling. But this ties back with. Uh, with the Japanese export numbers, uh, Rich, you should take a look at it. Uh, Their exports are surging.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry.
2: Yeah, like really great numbers. And uh, if you do it just on pure production, like units that are sent out, that's not increasing. Oh, sorry, it, it is increasing, but it's all being driven by, you know, devaluing their currency. So like when I talked about people can adjust to a gradual movement in any market, you know, the, the Japanese are. So they're saying, yeah, we're going to defend the currency. We'll defend the currency. They're loving this now. This is great. If, if it can trickle lower all the time, it's great. Uh, but Steve, but to answer your question, uh, so there's the conversation that's out there now is that, you know, the two biggest holders of uh, treasuries, you know, would, would be the Japanese and, and, and the Chinese. Uh, they're, they're selling these to get dollars, you know, to try to defend their, their currency. So that's having a lot of a impact on, on the market. Um, and what people, when people hear that, they're thinking, Oh man, the dollar is in trouble if the Chinese start to dump treasuries or if the Japanese start to dump, you know, treasuries, but what, what they don't realize is that the amount of savings that is, that continues to come into the system on a, like on a daily basis from pension fund savings of all types and corporate money that has to be rolled over, the treasury departments, uh, just world trade in USD, that all buys treasuries. Like it's it's always overwhelming. So you're not going to get this, this huge flush out in the treasury market. So I actually agree with with Rich, uh, with, with the, the long treasury bond. So in, in both Canada as well as US, um, I think the opportunity is coming up here where that's going to be a real good entry point because if we do get a recession, which I I suspect we are going to get um, and it's not this, you know, crisis moment, then it's, it's, I think people can make a lot of money on the long end of the, the, of the uh, treasury market curve. We got to do our Twinkie bet guys. Oh, Twinkie bet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Wrap up the show here. Um, Who wants to go first,
2: Keith? I'll go first. Do you guys know the data yet? Or are you just, you know, October 26th, the-
0: so uh, Wednesday next week we'll be obviously recording on Thursday and uh, so we'll have an update for, for you guys next week Okay, I'm in for 75 That's market expectations by the way, 75, yeah, boring it's Exactly, that's it What you got, Rich?
2: I'll go 50
0: Oh, man
2: It's like he's not what? even trying, he's like he's guessing all the time 50, I was going to go 50
1: all right. Well, the uh, two of us 50. can have,
2: uh, we can go yeah, both
1: yeah.
0: go 50. Well, I'm going to go, this, yeah. I'm going to go 50. I was going to go hundred just to spice it up, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, I'll go 50 with rich. So the two, the two millennials here are going to go 50, uh, against the boomer. So, uh, I'll we'll see how this one plays out. Twinkie is on the line. Uh, as always guys, we appreciate your support. Again, there's going to be a link in the description to go get tickets to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Looney Hour Live, December the 1st in Toronto. Uh, We appreciate your guys' support. As always, we just ask that you share this episode with at least one friend or family member, and uh, we'll see you next week.